Well, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at the story of the wise men. And you may say, well, it's, you know, it's already after Christmas. Why the wise men? The wise men were after Christmas as well. They're not at the manger scene. You'll notice as we read this passage, they're at a house. So it's not, a, not when they're in the stable sometime later. Let's read Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The Bible said, says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Well, let's note some lessons from these wise men. I'm calling this message Wise Men Worship, and really that's still the case today. Wise people who are wise, people who have God's perspective, people who see the world as God sees it, see time and eternity as God sees it, uh, worship. That's a part of what we do, and it's wise for us to worship. And these wise men teach us some lessons about worship. Seven principles. If you're watching online or here in person, would you write, just write these seven principles down as we think together about worshiping the Lord? Number one, would you note worship sees God's greatness? It sees God's greatness. Verse one, the Bible tells us about these wise men who came from the east. We're not told the exact details, but they're coming from a long distance. They're coming to Jerusalem because they know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus has been born, and they're looking for him. And they said this in verse, uh, verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we've come to worship him. I don't think the wise men understood everything about who the Lord was. He is, of course, more than the king of the Jews, though he fulfills the promise God made to his people, the Jewish people, that through them the world would be blessed. I don't think they probably understood all the theology of who the Lord was or would be. Maybe they didn't know all the details, but they knew this. <clears throat> they had seen a star at its rising, and of course we live in a generation of light, and so <clears throat> for us, you know, lights everywhere, we hardly ever see, we hardly notice the stars. But in the days before electric lights, uh, stars were such a part of our world and we could just you'd see them all the time and still when you get far enough away you can see so many stars and there's something miraculous about this star it's not a normal thing and God uses this somehow God uses this to tell them that there's going to be this miracle that's taking place that they should leave their home and travel far 
and go to a place where they've never been perhaps and worship this king of the Jews. Now, these are wise men. They're learned, they're studied, they're, but they know there's something that they need to see and so they're willing to go worship. They, they may not know everything there is to know yet about the Lord, but they see something of the greatness of God. And they, they know this, that Jesus is worthy of inconvenience. I mean, it's, incon it's sort of inconvenient to travel from far, far away through heat and cold and drought and danger. I mean, talk about inconvenient. But Lord, the Lord is worthy of our inconvenience. I noticed, um, couldn't help but notice after Christmas Eve services that not everyone was... Um, as careful as they might have been with the candles. I just couldn't help but notice that. And there were places where there are just there's just wax. The poor custodians here, there's wax. A couple of in a couple of places. We have these little holders. If you're not here on Christmas Eve, we have a little holders you put a candle in and you know catch to catch the wax. But some people, you know, I, I don't know what their parents didn't teach them, or maybe they thought, I don't know. Some of them, I thought, they had to have turned it upside down, literally turned it upside down. It was wax all over the place. And I thought, how inconvenient. But you know, the only thing worse than the inconvenient would be not having people who would make it inconvenient. Did you know that? I mean, I'm sort of glad that we have people who come here and make a mess. Now, you don't have to make an extra mess for me, don't get me wrong. I mean, plenty of messes here as it is. I'm just saying, I'm glad there are people here it would be much more convenient for us not to have any people coming to our worship services. It'd be a lot more convenient if there weren't any people involved in ministry at all. But people can be inconvenient, and the Lord himself can call us to inconvenience. And he said to these, to these wise men, I want you to leave all the conveniences of home and travel. I want you to sacrifice. Boy, sacrifice almost sounds like a dirty word to us. The idea that Jesus himself would call us to sacrifice, but he does. We saw these missionaries in a far off place with working in a hard area and god calls he calls all of us who follow him to sacrifice and jesus is worthy of course of our worship and why would these people travel and be inconvenienced and sacrifice and worship because they saw something of the greatness of god i want to suggest something to you one of the reasons a lot of people are really ho-hum about worship is because they're sort of ho-hum about God. Can I say that? And they think of God as okay. I mean, it's not like they're against God. He's fine. Many who name the name of Christ. I mean, it's not like they're against God. Fine. It's just not that, not that big a deal. And if God's not that big a deal, then worship's not that big a deal. But when we see the greatness of God, we are, we are burdened to worship. We want to worship. And these wise men didn't see God as sort of ho-hum and, you know, nice, I'm glad, you know, find God. They saw the greatness of God. They saw the amazing nature of grace. They saw the, the wonder of creation, and they wanted to worship God in his greatness, and that's really what worship comes from, seeing the greatness of God leads us to worship. There's a second principle I'd like you to note, that is worship threatens the usual. The Bible says in verse 3, this is an interesting verse, when King Herod heard this, he was, notice, deeply disturbed. This is a strong word here. Deeply disturbed. Not just a little disturbed. It doesn't say when he heard this, he's like excited and delighted. 
He's deeply disturbed. Herod, we, we know him as Herod the Great, tremendous architect uh, in his day, built all kinds of things, but he was a terribly paranoid man. Not only would he put to death the innocents later in this chapter, many who were put to death just to solve his own fear and worry, but he even put to death many of his own children and offspring because he had this deep paranoia in his life. And I'll just tell you something, God can disturb us sometimes. He doesn't leave, he upsets apple carts. Did you know that? And worship can threaten the usual. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. And notice it says he wasn't the only one and all Jerusalem with him. I mean, the idea of a new king, the idea of a Messiah, the idea of someone worthy of our worship, this just changes things and change can be hard for us. I think sometimes as we get older, change can be even more difficult for us. We like the usual. We like the normal. And yet God very often stretches us and changes us and uses circumstances, even the bad circumstances of life, to call us to a deeper worship to him. And worship itself can sometimes threaten the usual. We just can't stay as we are in response to worship. Worship upsets our ambitions. Herod was an ambitious man. And then he found out that God had ambitions that weren't his. God upsets our self-centeredness. Worship is not about self. And we are, by nature, selfish, self-centered, focused on ourselves. And worship cannot be about self. And so God very often upsets through worship our ambitions or our self-centeredness. And God upsets our complacency. Perhaps Jerusalem liked it kind of as it was. I mean, it was, it was a hard normal, but it was normal. It was the usual. It was the expected. They knew, what to, they knew what things would be like. They knew what to expect. Maybe you feel that way. And then God comes along and just messes things up. He just changes things. He doesn't leave you where you are. He doesn't always leave you in your complacency. He doesn't let you stay focused on self. Worship just gets to the heart of our self-centeredness and our ambitions. And worship can threaten the usual. Principle number three, worship is more than religion or knowledge. It's more than religion or knowledge. I think many people would say worship, well, that's a service you go to on a Sunday morning or maybe some special religious event. And religion, I'm a pretty religious guy. But rightly understood, religion is our response to our relationship with God, but not the replacement for it. But for many, religion can become, maybe for you if you're not careful, the replacement for what God wants. And instead of our relation, a relationship with God as he wants, religion becomes just what we do. I'll have you note here, religion, worship is more than religion or knowledge. Um, the people assembled by King Herod include the chief priests and scribes. Man, they have a lot of religion. I mean, they are very active in religion. They have lots of knowledge. I'm pro-knowledge, by the way, especially of the Bible. I'm pro, maybe you're surprised by this, I'm pro-knowledge of the Bible. Did you know that? I want you to learn the Bible. I want you to read it for yourself. love for you to get in a small group and study it with others. love for you to pay attention in worship services. I'm pro-learning about the Bible. But worship is more than just knowing more, more than just attending religious services, more than just changes on the outside. Let's go to the text in verse 4. Herod assembled the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be. Even Herod, as wicked a man as he was, 
He knew the truth was in this book. He knew it. He had knowledge. The scribes and Pharisees studied about the things of God. They knew the Old Testament that was pointing to God, and yet when God came in the flesh, they didn't know him. So if worship was just religion or just knowing the facts, they would have been fine. But it's more than that. They knew that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew the prophecies of the Old Testament, specifically found in verse 6. Herod even told the wise men that he wanted to worship. He, he said to them, find him, report back to me, because I want to worship him. Just saying you want to worship doesn't mean you'll worship. Just going to a worship service doesn't mean you will worship. Knowing about worship does not make you worship. Worship is about more than religion or knowledge. And if we're not careful, those of us who are around church, and those of you who are here are fairly religious folk because you've showed up on a Sunday morning, but religion is about it's, it's, worship is about more than just religion and more than just knowledge. God teaches you his word, not just so you can play trivial Bible trivial pursuit better, right? It's more than just that we check off the box that we attended somewhere, but it is about the heart of the Lord himself. Principle four, worship moves the emotions. It moves the emotions. I love how the Bible says this in verse nine. After hearing the king... The wise men went on their way, and there it was, the star they'd seen at its rising. And it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. This is a miraculous thing. This isn't a normal star. It's leading them, leading them directly to where the child is. And verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. They were overwhelmed with joy. Worship engages both our mind and our heart. Worship engages both our logic and our emotion. Now, you'll not be surprised, perhaps, to know that I am more on the logical side. I'm not a big, I'm not really uh, outwardly emotional a lot. I don't get real high or low. I tend to be relatively calm. I don't get upset uh, really easily. I don't cry a lot. Unless it's a country song, a sad country song, okay, I'll cry then, but I don't just cry easily, that sort of thing. I'm not really high on the emotional side. I'm more on the logical side. I, I like to study. I like the logic. I like the facts. And God certainly has us engage our minds. I'm all for that. You don't set your mind aside to come to worship the Lord. God wants us to use our reasoning. God wants us to use our thinking, our logic, our minds it's a reasonable faith. I'm thankful that the Lord lets us use our minds. But can I tell you, from my perspective, it's not just for me. It should never be just about logic. God wants me to engage, to engage my emotions. And there ought to be times in my life where I am overwhelmed with joy in worship. Certainly. Now, some of you may be on the other side, and men, the emotions are high with you, and you need to learn more about the logic and reasoning and study. Great. But this text is reminding us that our emotions are involved. God made us not just logical creatures, but also emotional creatures. And he wants us to engage our mind, yes, but also our hearts. And there ought to be times where we are just overwhelmed with joy at what the Lord has done. Salvation ought to mean something to us. There ought to be times when we are moved by the things of God, where we weep because of what God is doing and teaching and leading in our lives. There ought to be times when God stirs us deep within. And so let God work in your mind, of course, but let God work in your heart as well. And these wise men, 
probably very learned men, probably very studious guys, probably had lots of education, but they also were moved by their, in their emotions by worship. And there's a power to that. God stirs both our mind and our heart. Principle number five, worship results in humility. Worship results in humility. Go with me, please, to verse 11. The Bible says, entering the house. Notice it's not the manger here. It's not the stable. Entering the house. This is sometime later. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. I like this. They're falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Now they are, they are so amazed at the privilege of worshipping this great God, this God who would become a man, this king of glory, that they bow their knees before him. These important people, these philosophers, these, these learned men, these studied people who have traveled so far, they get on their knees and they worship. We have almost lost sight of humility. The Bible says we are to humble ourselves. Often the Bible talks to us about humility, but we've almost lost sight of it as a culture. We only use the word humble when we, have get, when we get an award and we say that we're humbled by the award, when in reality that seldom happens. Awards aren't usually what humbles us. In fact, the Bible says you're to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Worship always results in humility because you learn this principle in humility. That God is God and you're not. Someone probably should have told you this before. God is God and you're not. And we have a lot to be humble about. A lot to be humble about. Um, some time ago, my youngest son had a couch. He has an old, old couch he'd gotten from someone else. Old couch, all the stuffing falling out of it. I mean, just falling apart. Big, large, old couch. And he needed to get rid of it. And so we, you know, asked me for help. That's what that's what sons do, and, and I, I'm glad to help him. That's what fathers do. Uh, but what do you do with a, to get rid of an old couch? And so I did what I do. I called Skip, our associate pastor here, and I called Skip. And I said, Skip, what do I do? I got this, uh, son's got this couch. What do, I, what do I do? And Skip said, you know, listen, you can use the, the dumpster here at the church, uh, People don't usually ask permission. They just use it freely. But nonetheless, I mean, there's a lot of trash here in the church. And he said, let's do it after school is out. It'll be a little bit less trash there. We've just got a lot of, you know, really dirty uh, people here in the church, apparently. And lots of trash has to go out. And so take it the day after they picked it up so that there's room for it. And we'd gotten some new dumpsters, a little bit smaller, he said. But it could fit in the bottom of that. And you can... You know, get, just do it at the right time, and I sort of said, okay, and I, I got my son to uh, help me on that particular day. He was busy with something else, but he could help me load the, the uh, sofa, this big sofa, heavy sofa, loaded it in the back of the truck. We strapped it all in and everything, and then he had things to do, and so I said, I'll get someone here at the church building to help me get rid of it, and so I drove it here, and I started thinking when I, as I was getting here, I thought, I, I could, I can get that in the dumpster myself if I just, you know, get it up. I backed up to the dumpster. I don't want to bother other people. You know, some of the people here actually have to work here at the church building. And so I said, one of those guys, I don't want to bother one, someone who's actually working. And so I'll 
I'll just do this myself. I backed up to the dumpster, and uh, I, through a lot of trial and error, eventually I got it up enough to get it on the ledge of the dumpster itself, and then I got in the back of the pickup, and I, you know, scooched it up towards the dumpster farther and farther until I finally got the, you know, enough uh, momentum behind, got it to the front, and it fell over into the dumpster. But the problem was, there's enough room if it could lay flat, but it landed on its end. It just was standing straight up in the air. And that's a problem. You know, what do you do? I tried to get it, you know, as best I tried to get it to scrunch over and fall, but I couldn't do it no matter what. And I, and I was in my good clothes. I couldn't really get in the dumpster. And I thought if I did get in the dumpster, I, there's a chance I wouldn't get out. And there are a lot of bad ways to die, but that would be a bad way, you know. Years later, people said, whatever happened to that old pastor? He, the guy was in the dumpster. They came. They took it away. They scratched him. And tragic. He was screaming the whole way. Got very, he got very emotional in his death. There was just a country song playing on the front of the guy in the cab of that. I mean, it was, so what do I do? It's standing straight up in the air. What do you do? So I called Skip. I mean, that's what you do. You call Skip. And Skip took care of it from there. Someone told me in the first service that they drove by. They came up here to put some trash in the, um, some papers in the recycling things we have here. And of course, Christmas time, they get really busy. We didn't have, and they were full. And they drove by and they saw that dump, some, uh, sofa sticking up in the, that dumpster straight up. And they said, what kind of person would leave a couch like that just standing straight up in the dumpster? Well, it was me. That's who, that's the kind of person that would do it. Well, listen, sometimes God uses circumstances to remind us to be humble, that we need other people, that we can't do it by ourselves. Can I tell you on occasion, when we worship, sometime when you're in the quiet of worship on your own, and by the way, worship, some of the greatest moments of worship are beyond just the worship service. There's something good about getting on your knees physically to remind yourself that God is God and I am not. And that life doesn't revolve around me. And that the Lord is the one who's worshipped. Not me, but about this is about the Lord. And to worship him in spirit and in truth. And these wise men, one of the reasons they came to that place was to recognize the greatness of God. And when they saw the greatness of God, God become a man. They got on their knees and worshipped. Number, number six, worship leads to giving. It leads to giving. The Bible says, then they opened their treasures. I love that. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Each of those gifts means something. There's a power to each of those. But I just want to focus for a moment on the fact that they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. No one made them. Sometimes I, for a long time, I gave really out of obligation. But it was a good day when I began to give out of a generous spirit. I'm glad I gave out of obligation. I'm glad I did the right thing, but it was a good day when I began to give because I wanted to open the treasures God had given to me. And I will say it's important for me, just as it is for you, that I open my treasures, the treasures God has placed in my hand, because if God doesn't have my heart, my, if he doesn't have my treasure, he doesn't have my heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also, the Bible says. And if God doesn't have my pocketbook, he doesn't have me. And so all the treasures I call mine are his anyway every ability or talent or blessing he puts into my hands came from him for his glory and so there's something powerful about giving and worship and god calls us to give we've been looking in the book of second corinthians at 
generosity. It's a powerful lesson for us, an important one for us to get, because worship always leads to giving. Worship is not just about getting. It's not just what's in it for me. What do I like or what do I get or what do I want? What a terrible way for us to look at worship. But it's about giving. The Lord gave to us. That's why we give. One of the reasons we give Christmas gifts is because of these wise men. But we, all, we respond to the giving God by giving ourselves. We respond to who He is, to His great love by, by giving. It's the natural response. And I love for our worship to lead to giving. I love for our giving to come in response to our worship. I love for us to see giving as an act of our worship to God. Principle number seven, worship follows God's leading. It follows God's leading. Verse 12 says, And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So God just said, here, listen, I've got something. I don't want you to go back to Herod, that, that wicked king. Go a different way. And they followed him, just as they had followed him in verses 1 and 2, from the east all the way to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. And they followed him now as he warned them about the way to go home. Worship is always about following God's leading. We might say it like this. Worship leads to discipleship and obedience. Worship leads to discipleship and obedience. Our worship of God always leads somewhere. It leads us to obey Him. It leads us to follow Him. And worship always leads us to discipleship and obedience. Or it's not genuine worship. If it changes nothing, if we don't respond... It's not genuine worship. Worship follows the leading of God, and it leads us to follow God's leading. It leads us to discipleship. It leads us to obedience. We might say it like this. Sunday worship should lead to Monday discipleship. Sunday worship isn't just about, I gather for a few moments, done, on with the rest. But Sunday worship should be leading somewhere. It's leading us to Monday discipleship, to Saturday night discipleship. It changes who we are and how we live and how we think and how we act. And so the wise worshiper follows God's leading, responds to worship by obedience and discipleship. And I want to ask you to be a wise person and worship the Lord. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, some of you here, I didn't really talk about salvation, about the need to trust him as Savior, but some of you, the Holy Spirit, because he loves you, is convicting you of sin and righteousness, and you need to be saved. And I'm going to ask you today to to give your life to Christ, right where you are. Place your trust in him. Be saved by the power of the Lord Jesus who lived for you and died for you. Christian, can I ask you to be wise enough to really worship? Follow the example of those wise men and worship. Worship him, the great God, not just the God who did a few things, nice story, but the great God of amazing grace. Would you ask the Lord to make it more than just the trappings of religion on the outside, but make it the essence of life that you would worship him? Would you ask the Lord to make it about him and not just about you, to take it off a focus of self-centeredness and selfishness and ambition what's in it for me and make it about him would you follow his leading and his guidance let worship lead you to live it out tomorrow and the next day and the next and the next
And Father, I want to thank you for these wise men and the example they set, the lessons we can learn, the example to follow. And I pray you'll help us to worship you. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our worship. And this season of the year, remind us of the greatness of who you are. Remind us of the privilege. Let it be more, let it be more than just religious activity. Let it be more than just knowing about you, knowing the truth of the, of the Christmas story. But let it, let it be about our heart longing to touch and connect with your heart. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.